It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Hey, welcome to another episode of Movies You Should Love. Uh, MoviesYouShouldLove.com or at MoviesYouShould on Twitter. Um, basically, what we do here is we are, we like to say we're kind of like film school minus the tuition. We're going to watch a movie and kind of break it apart, analyze it, critique it, uh, just kind of dig into them and, and see what makes these movies tick so um that's what we're here for and uh, to get us going scott what have you watched here recently um just this morning i watched the rum diary um little johnny depp movie that came out uh late last year based on the hunter s thompson novel of the same name um i really enjoyed it in a sentence (laughs) um (laughs) Uh, before I watched it, a friend of mine found out that I had just gotten it from Netflix, and he was like, oh, dude, no, don't watch it. It's it's pointless. It's like you watch it for two hours, and at the end, like nothing changes, nothing happens. And when he said that, I realized I was probably going to like it um, because I like Hunter S. Thompson. I've read a couple of his books. Um, I completely disagree with his worldview and his ethics and his... Not, but not necessarily his personality. Like, I really enjoy his books. He's got a, a wonderful way with words. Um, I really enjoyed uh, *Fear and Loathing* in Las Vegas. But uh, he does have a certain. My wife once coined a phrase that we still use: um, a flailing sense of doom. It's that. <laughs> it's that feeling when you realize something bad is about to happen, and no matter what you do. It's you standing on top of a staircase trying to grab onto something and you know it's too late and something bad's about to happen, but you still try to do something about it. But it's going to end badly. That is Hunter S. Thompson to me in a nutshell. He uh, kind of constantly railed against the system, railed against the government, railed against really what he considered, pardon the expression, the bastards. You know, And he says that in the movie because you know, if you are one of these people, uh, look out, I'm coming at you with ink and rage. Um, and that really, this movie almost works um, as the origin story of the superhero who is Hunter S. Thompson. It is a man who goes down to Cuba, basically, uh, as part of the system. He's a reporter. He's just there to have a good time. He's there to do his work. But then he stumbles onto something and kind of realizes that there are really kind of heinous people who are abusing the system and nobody cares. And why does nobody care when these evil people are doing this work? And so... Yes, it does end in a way that makes you go, well, what was the point of that? Nothing changed. But that's almost, to me, the point of this movie and the point of a lot of what Hunter S. Thompson wrote against, which is, um, in this movie, you have a character who stumbles onto the problem almost too late. By the time he realizes there's a problem, there's probably very little he can do against it because it's part of this machine that started years and years ago. But that doesn't stop him from trying. That doesn't stop him from trying to stop what happens. And even though at the end of it, he basically started the fight too late, he did fight. And that does matter. And I think, you know, a lot of Thompson's writing was a kind of a cautionary tale, I think. And this movie works in that way. It's not quite as wacky as Fear and Loathing, but it clearly comes from the same place. It clearly still comes from the same demented mind of Hunter S. Thompson. Um, It still has got some really funny, dark, cynical comedy uh woven throughout it um and uh it's probably you know slightly more realistic than uh fear and loathing but that being said if that just does not appeal to you i can totally understand you not enjoying this movie i can totally understand people not really appreciating this aspect of 
life or the world or of writing or of movies. Um, I enjoyed it. I would say, though, you know, if you haven't read Hunter S. Thompson, you might not appreciate it as much. If you go into it expecting Jack Sparrow, um, probably might be disappointed. This is Johnny Depp, but do know Johnny Depp is more than a, a Disney mascot. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, he's at least Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I always, I always kind of get a kick out of people going, oh, my mom loves Johnny Depp. I'm like, does your mom watch a lot of movies, or does she just know Jack Sparrow? Because he's made a lot of great movies, but, I mean, he is so much more of an actor than, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, it, no, I completely agree. Um those are just the ones that made him rich. Right, exactly. Those, those really <laughs> shoved him into the into the mainstream. Yeah. But he's been making movies with Tim Burton for 30 years now. Yeah. And he's and, been. And plenty of other movies. Right, yeah, right. I, been... I just say Tim Burton because I think of movies like Sleepy Hollow and mm-hmm. Edward Scissorhands, um, stuff like that, where you go, this is clearly not a movie for people who like Pirates of the Caribbean, you know? Exactly. So. All right, well, very good. Um, it's been a really busy week, so I don't really have a whole lot to add to these discussions. It's been that that week where I didn't watch much. Um, so uh, let's get right into our movie today, which is Easy Rider. Number 84 on AFI's Top 100. Right. Coming in uh, 1969, mm-hmm. um, this movie was the third highest grossing movie of the year. Astonishing. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, that said, uh, let's get into this a little bit. It was uh, written by Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper, um, and it was directed by Dennis Hopper, and it starred Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper. <laughs> yes. Um, it had a very small crew, very small budget, mm-hmm. um, and it was the surprise hit of the year. Nobody saw this one coming. No, not at all. Um, I mean... Uh, even even Peter Fonda's uh, father, right, <laughs> Henry Fonda, was like, I do not understand this movie, and I do not know <laughs> why it has made all of this money. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so, so nobody saw this thing coming. Um, but it did. It it grossed a heck of a lot of money. Um, well, I mean, I think it's worth saying before we really get into it. You know, when this movie came out, that you know, we said 1969, but what exactly does that mean? Why did nobody see it coming? Right. Yeah. Well, uh, to me, to me, this movie only makes sense in the context of the time. Um, to me, the only way I can think about this movie is by putting it into the context of the world of Mad Men. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the best way that I can understand this. And um, if you've seen this movie, um, compare this to, say, Bye Bye Birdie or some of the movies that are kind of the mainstream thing that they are talking about in Mad Men. Um, You know, very generic, very um, big kind of studio pictures that are just, you know, typical Hollywood fare. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously towards the end of the 60s, a couple years before this, you are getting some movies like... uh, Like The Graduate. The Graduate and Bonnie and Clyde, you know, Mm -hmm. The Wild Bunch and Mm -hmm. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. You know, you're getting some of this kind of stuff coming in. Um, But my goodness, this is like the distillation... Easy, Easy Rider is the distillation of the new ethos that is kind of mm-hmm. the, the counterculture ethos that is mm-hmm. cropping up in the late 60s and into the 70s. I mean, mm-hmm. um, 
if Mad Men starts with the beatniks being kind of the the counterculture, right? This is the new counterculture that is developing, and this right. movie is that counterculture. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we were saying before the podcast started uh, rolling that the best picture the year before was Oliver, the big kind of expensive musical i think you do have to put the exclamation point so it's oliver not just oliver. Um. <laughs> right but i mean that was that was what had come before and this the following year the number one movie was midnight cowboy or the the best picture best picture of the year is midnight cowboy you go 180 degrees in a a year's time basically of what people were now expecting and what people were appreciating in their films yeah um, and this is caught right in the middle of that this is yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, all of this is kind of a preamble, at least for me, in saying that as a movie, I didn't really enjoy it, but I can definitely appreciate it. You know, it's, yeah. like, it's a movie that it's like there's a there's very little in it for me, but when I look at the timeline of when this movie came out, I can go, okay, I, I get it, I understand it, good job. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think we're we're jumping a little bit here, like straight to our, our verdict section that we usually Sorry. save towards the end. But uh, no, I completely agree with you, Scott. I think that I have almost zero personal connection with this movie in a positive way. I have a very uh, high anti-connection with it. It's, it's a very negative experience for me, this particular movie. Uh, but that said, I, I can see... Right. why it was yeah. it was the well, success exactly. that it was I, I, the reason i jumped to this is not to get yeah. my verdict on it yet because that's not quite my verdict but um just to kind of say that i think as you as we get into some of the story i think it is important for us to realize why any of this is relevant or why why is this movie on the top you know the afi top 100 when watching it now there's like there's so very little for me to connect with well exactly because that was my struggle with this movie is exactly that is is why should i care why is this movie really on this list and because i am not enjoying this and i i mean at at the core of it i mean i completely disagree with the philosophy espoused in this film right and the, the the movie doesn't give us anybody to root for ever it begins with these two guys down in mexico um they have a very large shipment, it seems, a very large package of cocaine that they sell to uh, Phil Spector, mm-hmm. who plays somebody. Um, but uh, then the whole movie is about them. Basically, they have this money, and they're they're going from Mexico to Florida, where they're going to, I guess, retire and live it up for the rest of their life on this money. Um, and so the whole movie is this big road trip of them driving their motorcycles from Mexico to Florida. And so, right from the opening sequence, I by way like of Mar- yeah, by way of Mardi Gras in New right, Orleans, in New Orleans, basically, yeah. For, so, for, within the first five minutes, I already don't like them because I just I don't have I don't have a tolerance really for drug runners. Um, they some interesting movies have been made around people who do drugs and who sell drugs and whatever and smuggle drugs. I just don't have a tolerance for them in my own life, and so when I see these guys, I immediately see them as just bums or i don't want to say scum but i'm just like you're not contributing to society in any positive way and then the rest of the movie is basically about how they don't contribute to society in any positive way (laughs) yeah which i mean again that is kind of you know going back to the ethic of of you know the times um you know this was what this counterculture was about is it was against the system it was against um 
you know, it was about freedom. And I mean, that's what they talk about all over this movie is freedom. You know, they're looking for freedom. They have all these conversations eventually with Jack Nicholson about freedom and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously this is what they are looking for out of life. And, um, you know, there's a very telling uh, moment towards the end where, uh, where they're talking and, and one of them says, hey, you know, we've got all this money and we're almost to Florida and we can mm-hmm. be free for the rest of our life. And uh, Peter Fonda basically responds, nope, we failed. And that failure goes all the way back to this very opening of this movie where they sold out to the system by making all of this money, um, by selling drugs, by, you know, this, this whole thing. Right. Yes, it's yes, it's counterculture, but it's still a system. It's still... They they were performing these actions, um, yes, to free themselves, but at the same time, by going through these actions to free themselves, they still were buying into the system in a way. Right. And then... Uh, yeah, from there, I mean, it is. It's just this road trip where they continue driving across the country, and every place they stop, there's um, a different type of system in place. Right. Um, you know, whether it's the government, you know, by way of the police or, or whatever. Or it's a commune. Or, yeah, I mean, it, it could be a hippie commune, but it's this group that has put a system in place. Mm-hmm. And so it's another thing for them to not fit into and not to, you know, um, you know everything... The, the point of the movie ends up being that everything is a system and that someone to be free cannot buy into any of it. Right. Um, in my mind, the true answer of this movie is that it's impossible not to buy into some system. I mean, I think that mm-hmm. is the ultimate conclusion of, of where this movie goes. I don't know that that is exactly how it was seen at the time. Right. Um, I think that's how, looking back on the movement, that we can understand it a little bit more um yeah i kind of i mean there's a certain pretension to this kind of concept or worldview that basically says that nobody is right and i'm gonna go figure out my own thing which ultimately leads to you creating your own system if you don't buy into another system Mm -hmm. but don't you dare say that (laughs) you know it's Mm -hmm. kind of like a no no i'm doing my own thing i'm this like Mm -hmm. oh we know you all dress the same we all know you're you're that (laughs) Mm -hmm. we can identify you from across the room because as individual as these guys are, you know they are still obviously of a of a type as well. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, they dress it's, completely differently from each other, but they are still because are of still, how they are dressed, they are still grouped in together. And and yeah, they are a system of you know two or three or yeah. however many of them there are at this time. They have their own rules. They have their own laws that they govern even amongst between mm-hmm. themselves. They. There would be things that, you know, one could do to the other that would make the other one angry. And so, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you start having, you know, a system mm-hmm. being yeah. created between the two of them. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. Um, a couple of the things I would like to kind of touch on about this movie. One yeah. thing that really bugged me, um, uh, there are several things that bugged me about this movie. But one is the fact that I never felt like Dennis Hopper or Peter Fonda were ever playing characters. I never felt like they were acting in this movie. Um, I felt like they were really just kind of stoned through the whole movie, and they were, it was almost as if cameras were just rolling, and they had learned some lines to say. There, there was nothing to them. There was no, there were there were there was nothing for me to root for. I did, there was no backstory, and so, and seeing them just kind of stand there going, "That's cool, man," you know, and then do, you know do some drugs, uh, really just kind of it really frustrated me very quickly, especially when Jack Nicholson shows up in this about a quarter of the way in. Um, 
and he's just this phenomenal actor who has a phenomenal character to play and he steals the show mm-hmm. and to me it, it puts the two of them in this even it makes them look even worse because they, they're sitting there next to this character who's fascinating and they are contributing nothing to the scene mm-hmm. <laughs> other than to go yeah oh no do this don't do that try this look at that mm-hmm. and Jack Nicholson just carries the weight of all those scenes yeah. know, it, it frustrated me that oh no exactly um, you know I I think I think the thing with this movie is that those are incredibly worthy um, that you know that's an incredibly worthy thing to have issue with and I think it's the issue that a lot of um, if you will the establishment at the time that this movie came out sorry to call you the establishment Scott but I, accept it. <laughs> I mean I, I think I think this is what you know Hollywood as a, as a system was saying I think this is kind of what you know anyone over 20 was saying you know kind of like was saying when he was yeah watching. this is what Henry Fonda was saying you know about his son he's like I don't understand I don't understand there's no story there's no uh, likable characters you know mm-hmm. um, you know where did these guys come from why should we care about them and at the end of the day, it's it's because this movie is not about a story. It's about this idea. And that is why it was so tremendously popular in 1969, is because the young people of that time who were incredibly dissatisfied with the way things were going, who were you know, getting incredibly frustrated with the political process, who were... Um, you know, very disenfranchised and just, you know, very, um, you know, very ready for something to be different. Uh, you know, this is how they saw that they could do that. And this movie spoke to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was in kind of a, a shorthand that they could understand, that they could grasp onto these little, right. this, this understanding, this, this mindset. And um, so it was almost a rallying cry right. and I, for I, a generation. Yeah, and I recognize that, and I, mm-hmm. that there's a certain part of that that makes it feel still very relevant today. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing, you know, I, I don't feel like I've seen very many independent films that have really mm-hmm. championed this cause lately, but I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing more and more of those, um, because I feel like we're kind of in a similar place right now. So mm-hmm. there is a certain relevance to this conversation. Mm-hmm. I just, as I was watching it, it made me wish I was watching The Graduate, you know, yeah. Where I kind of went, where another movie that did a, did a very similar thing, but gave me characters I could understand and go, okay, I get where you're at now. I don't agree, but okay, continue with yeah, this no, conversation. I, I think I think this is the interesting thing to me about it is it's in context, it's it's fine as on its own. It's just not a very good movie. There are mm-hmm. so many other movies from this same time that still accomplish similar goals as this movie mm-hmm. um, that hold up much better today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we're still seeing kind of this basic mistrust of of the system in movies today. I, you know, I don't think that's a theme that has ever really gone away. No, I mean, you were just talking about how, I, I know we've talked about this movie on the podcast before, but um, how you just finally saw In Time. Yes. And in a weird way, it has the exact same themes of this movie. It's, yeah. you know, oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the man keeping <laughs> the common guy down. Kind oh, of, absolutely. You know, and- it, that, I mean, in time, uh, you talked about it fairly in length a couple podcasts ago, but yeah, I mean, you take a movie like that where the main character is essentially Robin Hood mm-hmm. because he's fighting against this tyrannical system that's in place that keeps mm-hmm. 
one group of people down in this frustrating place where there is no hope and this other group you know that will be forever enjoying the benefits of society and i feel like that's you know while that might be a bit more of a uh hyperbolic or more of a fable approach to this concept mm-hmm. it as i was watching it it felt very relevant it, it harkened back to this movie mm-hmm. harkened back to the old robin hood stories yeah and i was it, gonna say and yeah, that's where i was kind of going with this is that you know i i think that this has some universal themes in it that mm-hmm. you know um very much harken uh, you know obviously back to robin hood legends i'm sure you can go back much further to, oh, yeah. to earlier legends from other cultures but i mean you know I, these are old concepts that that this movie is kind of doing and there have just been so many other ways of getting at them that i personally enjoy significantly more or couched in ideals that mm-hmm. i agree with mm-hmm. more or even you know yeah yeah. <laughs> absolutely Cause, I mean, even even if you look at the writing of Chuck Palahniuk or his movies like Fight Club which are very anti-establishment very you know very nihilistic it's like mm-hmm. even though I can't necessarily root for Edward Norton in Fight Club he's at least a character I'm intrigued by and I want to know more of and there's a great script that has a lot of great dialogue that makes me laugh he's put in situations that are fascinating and through it all is this exploration of society and material wealth and you go this is interesting i don't know if i agree but i like what i'm seeing mm-hmm. and with this i it the movie failed until i put it into a context until mm-hmm. i had to look at everything around it and i maybe part yeah. of it is me growing up in, in a christian culture i'm very frustrated by movies that preach at the choir and i don't feel like this movie was made for anybody but the people who already felt this way and while this movie might have become a rally cry and maybe uh, awoken something in people or mm-hmm. made people go oh yeah that is how i feel i'm still frustrated by the fact that a huge pop a huge part of the population watched it and went what <laughs> you know <laughs> Yeah, um, I would say the other the other thing that this movie did very successfully is it did challenge a lot of the norms as far as how to make a movie. Um, yes. Even even the counterculture stuff that was coming out at this time, or you know stuff that spoke to that, you know, even your graduates or mm-hmm. Butch Cassidy's or Midnight Cowboys or Bonnie and Clyde. you know whatever Bonnie and Clyde Wild Bunch, you know these were all still using very traditional film i mean i say that i mean they were pushing the envelope in their own way um technically but they were using traditional filmmaking techniques a the lot the tropes were still there yeah um you know you would set up your cameras and lights in specific ways and it was uh this movie does not do that i'm not saying this is not the the first movie to to include some of these things but i mean right. it definitely hit at a time where it really influenced the coming filmmakers and the way they were going mm-hmm. to make their movies. I mean, uh, just simple stuff like uh, lens flare mm-hmm. and um, alternate editing techniques, which mm-hmm. for the most part in this movie really annoy me. Yes. Um, but the ability for them to exist or mm-hmm. be used mm-hmm. is important, even though they're really annoying in this movie. I know that was something that really got you. I don't know if you want to touch on those more. Or yeah, there it, it happened. It didn't happen constantly, but they did. They're the editor of this movie. I don't know what the purpose of it was. I tried to figure it out. I tried to figure out if the editing was something to do with oh, this is a drug sequence, and so this sequence we're going to edit this way. But every, I think it happens maybe six times in this movie where they are 
transitioning from one scene to another instead of doing a fade they do like this like staccato like cut 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 you know like you're still seeing part of the old scene that you're leaving and you're starting to get a glimpse of the new scene you're seeing and they do it like in this flash of like three four you know like two or three quick shots and then you're in the new scene and it is incredibly disorienting and incredibly just like it it hurt my brain seeing it and i couldn't actually imagine that was just on my small computer monitor that i was watching the movie on i couldn't imagine sitting in a room and having this flash at me in the in the theater because i don't know it it seems like it it felt like i've seen warnings in front of movies where they're like this might cause seizures i felt like this was what that must feel like (laughs) i'm like why are you editing it this way i mean never mind i mean there's other editing situations in this movie that i was not fond of either but that was to me the most strange and frustrating like i don't understand what you're doing like this doesn't make any sense as far as a narrative from a narrative standpoint it doesn't make sense from just a oh we're going to transition now like why don't you just fade or why don't you just cut to why don't what are you doing yeah yeah no i i agree it was just it's a movie that i think just really does not resonate with either of us no uh any number of levels right and i and they said you have that in between scenes and then there was an early scene where they actually did that inside a single scene where like henry fonda looks takes off his watch he looks at it and then he starts to throw it and the camera zooms out real fast but then it cuts back to him and then he throws the watch and it shows the watch and then it cuts back to him in a zoom and you're like i watched it three or four times like i rewound it three times like because i thought my dvd was doing something weird i'm like is my dvd broken i don't want to go further into this movie if it's just going to mess up you know but no that's the way it was edited and it's the strangest looking thing that makes no sense it looks like like if, it looks like if you had your timeline and final cut you accidentally had three or four shots that were just like next to each other that shouldn't be there and you forgot to clean it off the timeline before you it's just it was befuddling and it frustrated me but part of and again continue on this editing rant is i also i was just reading that um the original rough edit of this movie was like a th- was three hours and um to, to get it down basically heaven help us all <laughs> yeah to get it to make it shorter he edited out the story you know so what were you left with are these scenes where they where they're driving across america like you have these five or six montages in this movie of just like grass and mountains and yes some of it is very beautiful and i can respect some of it it's and it allows for some really great music to be in this movie. I was going to say, this movie has a fantastic soundtrack. Oh, absolutely. I mean... The, the, the budget for the soundtrack was more than the budget for the movie. <laughs> they spent like $1 million to get all those songs in this movie. Um, great opening sequence. Like after the opening sequence, the opening titles is, you know, to the um, Born to be Wild, which works tremendously well. And I'm sure that's this is the place where we all kind of that's this movie is the reason we keep using that in movies and in commercials but it's just like there's not much to do when you're watching mm-hmm. this movie you're just not given anything ever it's just like here are these rolling hills and here's a bob dylan song and here's some rolling hills and here's the birds and here's you know you're just like okay Mm-hmm. And now they stop at a commune. Yeah, and now, and now here they are at, at Mardi Gras, and it's mm-hmm. some conversation, and here's some more rolling mm-hmm. hills. Here's some yeah. dicks in a truck. Like, okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, 
I think I think all of this kind of for me brings up a couple of points that I I wanted to touch on um, because I think these are both really interesting maybe side conversations to have with this conversation specifically about this Absolutely. movie. Um, but the first one it goes back to our last podcast where um, where we were asked of kind of about the importance of this lists and lists in general and kind of how stuff gets ranked in that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, not to rehash our entire discussion last time, but I think basically what we said is that some of the movies on here definitely deserve to be like considered like a top, like number one movie or something, you know, something like a Casablanca or Citizen Kane or something like those are obviously, these are obviously great films, got great films. And so they deserve to be in like the, the top one, two, three kind of places on these films or on these lists. There's other movies, especially as you start going through the list that are maybe not so much, um, listed by their empirical betterness Mm -hmm. of, you know, their their quality is not necessarily better for any empirical reason than the others. It's just kind of a list of like, here are great films, right? Um, you know that you should see. And great is a relative term. Some of them are great because they are actually great movies. Right. Some of them are great because they had significant social or um, you know technical impact or something mm-hmm. like that or. And I think this movie is a prime example of that. Um, yes. I, I am willing to call it a great film. It is not good. <laughs> I'm um, willing to call it an important film. Or an important film. I'm not willing to call better. it good, great, or any positive. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's, it's important because it really is kind of this turning point in cinema history. It, mm-hmm. it definitely, you know, it captures the heart of a generation, if you will. Um, and I think that's a huge achievement in any number of ways. Um, and is an important thing to document in any number of ways and to remember. And so being on a list like that, I'm very happy it's here for that. Right. And that's what I was about to say is to me, this movie, maybe even better than the last one answers the question as to why we should have these lists. Because back in 1969, this, like you said, it was the third highest grossing movie of the year. People clearly saw this movie, but you know it's been over forty years since this movie has been released. It probably would have been forgotten to time if someone hadn't kind of created this list and was like, "Here are some important movies that you should watch, and maybe you should also find out why it's on this list because we can't necessarily add a reason to this entire list." But um, I'm I'm kind of thankful that it was on the list because I would not have watched it if it hadn't been on the list. Mm-hmm. It just. I would have seen the cover and gone, not interested, and moved on with life. But the fact that somebody has said, no, this is actually important. I go, okay, let me see it. Okay, why is it important? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. tell me what's going on with this, because it's clearly not a good movie. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think that's what we're trying to do with this podcast as well. It's like, you know, uh, obviously we're covering some movies that you have probably seen and probably have enjoyed. But there's hopefully some stuff on this list that you haven't. I mean, I have purposely avoided this movie because i knew it was just going to frustrate me right and and i tried to keep an open mind and it continued to frustrate me even though because i knew so much about it going into it but i think it's still important sometimes to watch those movies or um now that you have this podcast maybe you don't have to watch this movie but you can listen to what we say and now understand why it's considered so important yes um although i'd still say watching it is still probably important in itself because you can hear us talking about it but really 
forming your own opinion is probably the more important thing here. Oh, absolutely. Um, so don't just take our word on any of this stuff. We, we would honestly prefer you to, to come to your own conclusions. And, and if you disagree with us, because uh, I know there are people who love this movie. Yes. Um, if you are one of those people, please, please come tell us why we are wrong and why we should actually not just support the importance of this movie, but actually enjoy it. I would like to know what it is about this that brings enjoyment to you. Yeah. Because, because from my personal philosophy and understanding... I can't bring that to this movie, and this movie can't bring that to me. But I would like to know why some people do. Yes. I would like to know what person born, you know, 1980 mm-hmm. forward enjoys this movie and why. Yeah. Because it's not a movie made for you or your generation. Tell me about it. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, what in this speaks to you? Is it the characters? Is it the setting? Is it what they're doing? Is it mm-hmm. yeah. the... So. What? <laughs> Yeah, so uh, please get on our website, moviesyoushouldlove.com, mm-hmm. uh, and just let us know. We, this is definitely one that we really want to have a conversation Abs- about. Absolutely. We, we're, uh, uh, an interesting conversation just started this morning on our site about uh, movies that show uh, the establishment or the government in a positive light. Um, mm-hmm. Do they exist? You know, And so a very interesting conversation has kind of begun there. Yeah, and I would love to have more of those going on. Yeah, and I was going to say, that's, that's kind of the second thing I wanted to bring up, is this conversation has started. Uh, you know, really the question was, um, you know, there's so many movies that are anti-government, uh, anti-corporation, anti-authoritarian. Um, what movies are there that encourage trust in the government, trust in corporations, mm-hmm. trust in whoever holds the authority? Mm-hmm. Um, Why I know, is it that there seem to be so many that are anti? Yeah, and is there, you know, is there like a cycle to these movies, or is that is that just movies in general because it's compelling to have a hero? Yeah, um, you know, I I mentioned really briefly that I, on in the comments on this this discussion that you know to me I think it's largely um, not necessarily in Hollywood's interest to make a lot of these movies because I think it's much easier. Um, and I think it sells really well to tell a David and Goliath story. Yeah. And so what can you really do, you know, uh, if you have a everyday man, obviously there's any number of, of Goliaths that you can put in his way. It can be, you know, just another bad guy who's, you know, fighting against him. But, you know, how much easier is it if you're telling a story about politics to put an everyday man against the government or, right. you know, uh, an everyday man against a corporation mm-hmm. or, you know, whoever the establishment is, whoever. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's very hard to make a movie. Um, you know, it almost seems to me like if you're making a political movie, uh, if you want the government to be heroic, often times you're going to need another government from, a, you know, mm-hmm. back in the 60s, maybe it was the Russians or something, um, you know, who can be the villain so that the government can be the hero. Right. Um, you know, you almost need that kind of a... Right, you know that or, kind of a or thing. a kind of a spin on the concept because like, even mm-hmm. one of my favorite shows, The West Wing, which I would mm-hmm. say is very pro-government, often kind of still casts the system in a mm-hmm. bad light, where it's like it'll be Jed Bartlett versus the yeah. system. Like, oh, well, how do we how do we get this? We we clearly want to give children better education. How do I do that? Well, you're mm-hmm. going to have to do this, 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 and this. Like, oh, why can't I just do a good thing? Well, mm-hmm. because of the government. I am yeah. the president of the United States. I am the government. Yeah, kind of are. <laughs> you know, so it, sometimes it'll be a slight twist where 
the the government can be the villain and the hero in the same in the same story almost. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and it's a very interesting conversation, and it kind of it sprung up from I kind of noticed that we have four four of our blockbusters that are lining up for this summer uh, look to be very anti corporation, very anti government, very. Mm-hmm. You know, don't trust them. They are not out for your own good. Yep, and and it you know definitely is a classic you know concept that is that has played out in movies. You know, obviously since Easy Rider and and well before and you know straight up through, um, you know Avatar and beyond. So um, I doubt it's going to go away anytime soon. Yeah, history has kind of shown that a lot of people really can't be trusted <laughs> and maybe that's part of the thing too is like we want to trust the republic but the republic mm-hmm. always gives way to the empire yeah well we you know there is that guy who that, helped us but he became not, uh hitler you know yeah. the concept of power corrupting and mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing is obviously you know it's a it's a theme that has existed since uh you know well forever pretty much i mean obviously dating back to roman times and mm-hmm. Greece and yeah, um, which again bring it all back. I believe Easy Rider is a response to. I can exactly. I can see that positive aspect of this movie that this is clearly um, people frustrated by that constant cycle of I trusted you, I put you in office, and then you did that to me. You know that what seems to be what you seem to be able to look back through the history of politics or the government or business and you see people constantly kind of letting you down or or even just letting you down just making decisions for their own self-interest and they do these things and it kind of frustrates you and so it makes you want to fall out of society and do your own thing and live your own life and i can i can understand that i don't respect it but i understand it i understand that frustration mm-hmm. yeah so um just kind of wrapping all of this up i guess scott Overall verdict about this movie. Um, I'm thinking. <laughs> I had a good answer before we sat down to do this, and after this conversation, I will probably. What I will say is, I think it is an important movie, and I think understanding the context will help you appreciate the movie. I don't know if anybody. I don't know if you're going to enjoy this movie. I certainly didn't. I. I really dragged my feet going into this. I didn't want to put it in my DVD player. I didn't want to sit through it. Um, just because of the people, basically, who had recommended it to me is really what it comes down to. It just didn't interest me. Um, the The content of the film isn't overly interesting. It, there's nothing overly compelling about anything, really, that happens. And by the end of it, you kind of ask yourself, well, what was the point of all that? Um, if you don't understand the historical context of this movie i don't know if you're going to enjoy it at all so if you're willing to do that much homework i would recommend it yeah um i'm you know i'm in a very similar place because you know i'm not someone uh, like i actually can get behind sometimes people with with nihilistic kind of worldviews or or that kind of thing i don't necessarily agree with them Mm -hmm. but i can even enjoy stories that that end with kind of that what was the point or what was the you know so none of that mattered kind of thing i can that's not an issue that i have with a movie but this movie really does leave me with the negative concept of that and to me that's a really 
hard thing for me to get around. At the end of the day, I really went, this movie has no bearing on my life today. Yeah. And I think that is maybe... Um, that is maybe the real tough part of watching this movie for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of movies where very few things happen mm-hmm. and where um, I don't care about the characters or whatever, but they still may have some kind of relevance to me. This movie has almost none. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was just, it was a very, very hard um, movie to get through for me. That said, I completely agree, Scott. You know, if you're willing to do your homework on it, um, as a historical artifact, it's yeah. very interesting. As a time capsule, it's kind mm-hmm. of interesting. Yeah. You know, if you can kind of pretend to be Indiana Jones going <laughs> into this movie, maybe it's good. Um, um, no, it just, I mean, yeah, it, it, I, to, to me, it kind of summed up. Scott was, was kind of live blogging along with this. And, um, and he mentioned uh, something like, he was only seven minutes in and he was surrounded by hipsters. Oh yes. So many hipsters can't punch any of them. Yeah. And and that's really how this movie feels is, is these guys today don't feel like rebels. They don't feel like, um, you know, like they're challenging anything. They feel like self-entitled, um, hipsters who are, um, they're not even against the culture. They're just kind of against, whatever seems to be establishment yeah. anywhere they can see it. And it just doesn't, it doesn't play as true rebellion or, or something that's actually going to work in a real way to change anything. And not to start a new conversation, but that frustrates me to no end. And that's one of the things that really got under my skin about this movie is this concept of like, if it's, if it's broken, walk away. It's like, yeah, I don't believe that. Like part of what's inside of me is if it's broken, fix it. If you, if you're frustrated with the system, then do your part to, to, to change it, to be a positive influence. You're a smart person. Both of these men in the decisions they make while they are, um, drug runners or whatever, they clearly know how to do this. They clearly are. They have some sense to them. Why can't you apply that to something positive? Why don't you, if you're frustrated by your local government, then do something about it. Don't take all the all the people who are like minded and go live in the mountains. Like, that doesn't help anybody. That's so very frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is a that mindset is actually very dangerous because it ends up stagnating society or stagnating thought and belief and all of these things that need to keep moving forward that need you know we need to figure these things out you know even if you're even if some of this sounds very progressive and i understand that's a political concept some people are uncomfortable with i'm not trying to be that way i'm just saying we need to as these new problems arise we need to address them and then even if we kind of say no this is what we believe and we're not changing that you can't just pull out of society yeah no i i completely agree and you know and i think Again, getting to a, you know, this is an easy movie to spiral into other slight discussions. But, you know, I really think that that is a generational sort of difference. There's so much, you know, study been put into the differences between baby boomers and Gen Xers and whatever whatever the heck Scott and I are now, because we've been named like half a dozen different things. And, you know, all of these different generational studies and, and what the you know, what the philosophies are and stuff. And, you know, for Scott and I to watch this movie, which is basically a statement of a generational philosophy that is not our generational philosophy, Mm -hmm. um, completely 
foreign concept to us. And I think the specific reactions that we are having to it, this kind of thing like, you know, fix fix it or, you know, change it or, you know, change the conversation or whatever it is that we we would do in this place is probably a completely foreign concept in in the generation that this spoke to. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and I say that as more of a general term than like specific, so I don't want anybody to take offense to that. But it's, right, it, right. Really, it, it really is generational philosophical differences. You know, we're coming from a different place in time mm-hmm. where we have different forming elements that have brought us, you know, in, in our 30-odd years of life up to where we are today. We've had different reasons we are here than, you know, kids in 1969 did. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, this movie just very much does not speak to, to our experiences mm-hmm. to today. And so, to me, that's that's the, the flaw and the importance of this movie all yeah. at the same time. Yeah. So, anyhow, uh, so there you go. Number uh, 84. 84. Yeah, easy writer. Yeah, tune in. Uh, tune in next week for a uh, number eighty-three on AFI's top one hundred, uh, Titanic. So there you go. Which is <laughs> another hundred eighty degrees from yes. the last movie. <laughs> so we we always keep you guessing on here. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Uh, well, there you have it. If you want to chime in on any of this stuff, I know we've raised a ton oh, of questions. Do. We have a lot of stuff that we would love to discuss with you about this. Let us know on our website, moviesyoushouldlove.com, or follow us on Twitter at moviesyoushould, um, or you can get all my hilarious tweets as I watch terrible movies at Scottish Fog. <laughs> exactly. So, um, we will see you next time. See ya. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. 